World War I, there was uh, about 36 wounded soldiers that were in a German hospital, and um, they were visited by Prince Albert. He wanted to thank them for their sacrifice for their country. He had seen 35 of those men, and all of a sudden his staff, staff began to kind of point him to the exit, tried to kind of scurry him off out the door when Prince Albert said, wait a second, I, I came to see 36, and 36 is what I want to see. And they kind of said, well, Majesty, you, you, you don't really want to, that we don't advise that. And he said, well, why not? And he said, well, this particular soldier's in pretty bad shape. But Prince Albert demanded to see him nonetheless. They led him down a long, dark corridor to a room isolated from the rest of the hospital. Remember, it was World War I. They opened the door, and Prince Albert looked and saw a broken, battered, bloodied stub of a man. Lost his limbs. With no thought of himself, he ran across the room, threw himself on that soldier, and began to weep. With tears rolling down his eyes, out of his eyes and down his cheeks, he kissed that soldier on the forehead. He thanked him for his service and sacrifice to his country. You know, today we celebrate and we honor our veterans. Those men, those women who served in our military and were willing to defend our nation and the freedom that it affords us. As I said, I said we're a blessed nation. Yeah, there are things that go on in our country that we may not agree with, but we are still living in a wonderful, wonderful nation, a nation of freedom, freedom where we can still express ourselves and we can still worship our Lord. Not every veteran found themselves taking fire or defending a bunker, but every veteran understood their role and duty to defend our nation. You know, there's always a price to pay when you're a soldier, whether it's war or whether it's peacetime. And although their duties may have varied, no service was free from that sacrifice. You know, if you're a child of God today, do you realize that you're a soldier in God's army? You know, we're recognizing our veterans, we're talking about the military, but the fact is, is that as God's children, we are also soldiers in God's army. Take your Bible, look over at 2 Timothy chapter 2, would you? 2 Timothy chapter 2. Us older folks have a responsibility to shape our nation in a way that will give our young people a reason to fight for their freedom. I feel like if we're not careful, we may be dropping the ball. It's important that we provide them with the kind of country that's worth fighting for. There's some girlfriends you'd fight for and there's others you didn't care, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, some of these guys know they're laughing. Some of you ladies are offended. But, but the fact is, is that there, there are. It's just the way it is. And some of you ladies, you know what it would be. You know, there's, you know, your girlfriend goes after the one of your boyfriends, and you think, ah, who cares about him? But then there's that one. No, you'll, you'll, you'll go to the dirt for him. You know, we want our country to be a country where our young people want to fight for it. Let's work at that. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Again, if you're a child of God, you're a soldier in God's army. He says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. 
No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. If we take the time to look at Ephesians chapter 6, and I will, you needn't. But in verse 10, he says, Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Why? For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We recognize that in this particular passage in Ephesians as well, that we're, uh, he's alluding to us as being soldiers again, because we need the whole armor of God. In 1 Timothy 6, 12, once again, uh, the apostle Paul writes, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Again, there's no doubt in scripture that the child of God is looked upon as being a soldier for his king. Now, what is the most basic responsibility given a soldier? Somebody may say, well, to fight. They got to learn to fight. And you know what? They have to learn to fight if they're going to be a good soldier for sure. But when someone speaks of a soldier, they may ask, uh, they, they, may, uh, they may ask, are you in the service or are you a service member? You ever notice that? Are you in the service? Are, are you a service member? Well, that kind of clues us in as to the most basic responsibility of a soldier. To serve. That's really what the most basic element or the basic characteristic of a soldier is, is to serve. You know, I found that in the military when I was there, I spent three years active and I spent six years in the National Guard. So I have nine years, if you will, in the military. And the fact is, is that I remember many a time what my sergeants or what my commander, what my captain, what my lieutenant may have wanted more than anything else was for me to serve him. Serve her. You say, well, how do you do that? Well, you do what they tell you. Kind of reminds us of that Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice. We present ourselves. And often I use the illustration I have over and over and over again. Uh, Mark O'Donnell reporting for duty, sir. Anything you want me to do, anything you want me to do, ma'am, I'm at your disposal. I'm a servant to you. And I know that sounds a little bit uh, demeaning, but it's not. A private takes orders from a corporal. A corporal takes orders from a sergeant. A sergeant takes orders from a staff sergeant, and so forth and so on. As a soldier... We have the privilege of serving God. It is a privilege to serve God. And I don't know that uh, in our generation, if we see it quite like that, it's almost as if service is a bad thing. <laughs> this is so funny, and I don't know why I'm going to tell you this, but I, I was listening because it has nothing to do with the message. But I was listening to a, a guy, he was talking about how he went into one of these stores that has no employees, it's all ran, uh, it's automated. 
and he got he, he gets he picked up a bottle of water and he took it up to the counter and he he uh, paid for it. He scanned it in and he paid for it with a card. And all of a sudden, on the screen, he says, "Hold on, I want you to see this for yourself." He turned his screen around and looked at the other screen, and it said, "Would you like to leave a tip?" He said, there are no employees anywhere in sight, and the computer's asking, would you like to leave a tip? You say, what's that have to do? I have no idea, but I just thought it was funny. But, but, but the fact is, is that we, we live in a generation where service sometimes kind of gets a bad rap, but I'm telling you what, there is no privilege greater than serving our commander-in-chief. So who is this God that we have the privilege of serving? Who is he? Well, let me just give you a couple basic thoughts. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I'm just going to share this passage, and then I'm going to just draw from a verse and just look at two aspects of this God that we have the great privilege of serving. I can only imagine as many of the, uh, uh, the, 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 the veterans I saw or possibly those that are actively serving in the military. Can you imagine if you went in, uh, to, say, to your sergeant or to your captain and said, you know what, uh, I don't care what you want me to do, I'm going to do whatever I want. How would that have gone? <laughs> Not too good, would it? Wouldn't have went too well. We have the privilege of serving God. You know, I've had sergeants in the past who weren't that really worth serving. You ever had one of those? Some of you are like, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. And you thought, I had one sergeant one time, you know, it, it was funny, he, he decided that uh, somebody had to do, well, we were having some maneuvers that were going to be on the weekend, and everybody uh, in my little platoon, it was a small group at the time, we had about 15 or 17 of us, and we worked in the communications uh, platoon, and, and it was a small group, and, and he needed some radio teletype operators to go out and to work with this group that was coming in for the weekend and, and this other unit, and so he had, they had volunteered our group to do that. I need two, two trucks, two radio teletype trucks to go out. I need four people to go out on the weekend, and so he got us all together, about 17 of us, so many different vehicles and all, and he said, okay, okay. He stands in front of us and he says, all right, here's what's going to happen. Now, I need four volunteers to give up their weekend. And of course, the question was, well, what do we get? Right? You know what I mean? Like, we're going to give our weekend up. Do we get a couple days this next week off? He said, no, no, just uh, need four volunteers. And then, I'm not joking. He stands up and then he says, all right. Nobody wants to volunteer. He's getting mad, you can tell. He points, he says, why don't you want to do it? This, I'm not joking. It's a grown man, an E6 in the military. Why don't you want to do it? And the guy says, well, I haven't seen my kids too much this week, and yet whatever, and he looks at, what about you? And what about you? And he went right down the list. And everybody's coming up with all these stupid excuses, making them up, you can tell as they go. And he came to me and he said, why don't you volunteer? And I said, I'm not going to sit here and tell you a big lie. I'm just going to tell you the truth. I don't want to do it. <laughs> I don't want to do it. That's why I don't want to volunteer. I don't want to do it. He wigged out. <laughs> I mean, he went crazy. Get out of here. Get out now! 
I said, okay, great. I don't have to do it. <laughs> I was thinking, this is the best ever. But that ain't what he had in mind for me. I get out the door, and he comes down the door, slams the door shut, and everybody else is inside. I'm on the outside now. And he's like, you see these right here? He's holding them up. You see these right here? E6 stripes. I said, yes, yes, I see them, Sergeant. He said, that means I get to tell you to do whatever I tell you you're going to do. And I said, well, I know that. I said, you asked the question. I was just the only one honest. And he got so mad and he said, you're doing it. You're going to volunteer. And I said, well, I'll do it. I'm not volunteering, but I will do it because you're telling me I have to. Man, he was so mad at me. And I thought, I got to get out of here as fast as I can. Because if this is what's running our military, we're in trouble. Now, that wasn't indicative of the whole military, but I just happened to have one of those sergeants. You may have had one of those, right? Some of you may have one of those husbands. But anyway, I mean, I'm just saying, <laughs> I shouldn't have said that, right, guys? I shouldn't have said that. Okay, sorry, guys, sorry. Just be... <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, so moving on. First Thessalonians... <laughs> Chapter 1, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Look at verse 1. I mean, who is this God that we have the privilege of serving? Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, verse 1, of the, unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost." so that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves shew of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Now, Paul the Apostle is writing to the church at Thessalonica. Paul had spent three to four weeks max with these people. That's all, three or four weeks. Three Sundays, so he may have spent up to four weeks teaching and preaching and training them instilling biblical doctrine for four weeks. And now he is whisked away because of persecution. And not long after he leaves, we're going to see him writing this passage to the church. In our passage, we are told that the people took to the truth with open arms. They were idolatrous men and women. Worshiping idols, 
But now the Bible tells us that they turned to God from idols. They literally turned. They were worshiping idols and they turned to God from their idols. But not only did they turn to God from their idols, but the Bible goes on to say to serve the living and true God. When you and I, uh, in our lives today, when we turn from our idols, the things of this life and world, even whether they be our own works and own ability to somehow earn the favor of God, those are our own works, they become our own idols. When we turn from the idols to, to, the, to the God, this God, that's our salvation. But he goes on to say, he says, they turned to God from their idols, but to serve. That's what God intends for all of us, to serve. And who are they serving in this passage? The living and true God. You say, well, okay. So who is that God or who is this God that we serve? First of all, let me just say, he is the living God. He's the living God. Father, bless us in these next few minutes. Fill me with your spirit and allow me to be your mouthpiece. Oh God, I need you. I have nothing to give this thy people except you give it to me first. Lord, bless the people of God and encourage them, we pray. May their hearts be stirred and may, Father, we find it in our lives, Father, to be more faithful to you. And if there be any without you, may they trust and receive you even today. We'll thank you in Christ's name, amen. He is the living God. We have the privilege of serving God, but not just any God. We get the privilege of serving the living God. Amen. You know, there are plenty of dead gods, but there's only one living God. And someone says, well, that's pretty exclusive. You think you're the only one that's right? No, I, have, I, I don't believe that at all. I believe that the Word of God is right. I, it's not my opinion. It's not what I have to say that matters. It doesn't matter what I think, and it don't really matter what you think. When it's all said and done, I mean, opinions are like noses. Everyone's got one, but nobody likes it. I can't even tell you how many times I wish mine was straighter. I mean, I got into a fight when I was 14. I got popped right in the nose, and I'm sure it got broken, but my parents didn't take me to the doctor. You know how it is. Eh, it'll heal. It's probably not broken. Really? Who cares, right? What are we going to do anyway? You know what I'm saying? I took Josh one time. We was at camp, and I did, they did do something, but I don't know if it helped a whole lot. But uh, they we, he broke his nose. Uh, he, was, he tried to tackle a 220-pound guy when he was probably about 130 pounds, and he hit him from behind, and the guy fell this way, and Josh's head went in the ground, and the guy's butt went right on top of his head and smashed his face right in the ground. I mean, crushed him. <laughs> we're sitting at lunch, you know, after the, all the activities, and Josh is sitting, Josh is sitting, I think, across a, a from me, and, and Brother White, some of you may remember Brother White, he went and left here and, and started a church in West Virginia, but Brother White, here he was, he was, um, he's sitting there, and uh, Josh is looking at me, and I'm kind of looking at him kind of funny. I mean, it was like, whoo, you know. I mean, really crooked. And I said, huh, that don't look good. And I, and I said, hey, Mr. White. And this, you got to understand, Mr. White, he was a fighter in his day, boy. He, whew, 
I wouldn't want to mess with him. Anyway, I said, does that nose look broken to you? He looked at it and he went, oh yeah, that's broken, all right. And so I took Josh to the hospital. Man, when we were at the hospital, they gave him that twilight sleep stuff, you know, where you're not fully asleep, but you're kind of asleep. They stick a metal rod up his nose and they start going, <laughs> folding it and trying to get it back in shape. <laughs> I was the one that needed the twilight sleep, man. I mean, it, wow, this isn't good. He woke up from that thing, you know, I mean, it went long. He's like, I can breathe. Oh. And he always had trouble breathing, you know. And he's like, I can breathe. That lasted for two or three days and it was right back where it was. But I don't know they did that good a job on it, really. I mean, there's not a whole lot. It's kind of like broken toes, you know what I mean? I don't, I don't know. But anyway, that's, I, why am I telling you this? So anyway, he's the living God. Right? And, and, and you know, it's interesting we think about that. I have, again, I'm, I'm really out there, right? Okay? But the children of Israel, interestingly enough, found themselves enslaved in Egypt. You remember that, right? They cried out to the living God. And guess what? He heard their cry. He sent Moses, who you, he used to deliver them. You know, the, the, the Elijah. Elijah would ultimately challenge the prophets of Baal. Remember that? 400 prophets of Baal. Matter of fact, the Bible says in 1 Kings 18, and Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, Choose you one bullock from yourselves, and dress it first, for ye are many, and call on the name of your gods, and put no fire under. And they took the bullock, which was given them, and they dressed it, and called on the name of Baal from the morning even until noon, saying, O Baal, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, nor any that answered. And they leaped upon the altar, which was made. They leaped and leaped on it. And it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he's a God. Either he's taking, uh, either he's talking, or he's pursuing, or he is in a journey, or peradventure he sleepeth and must be awaked. Huh. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after the manner, after their manner, with knives and lancets, till the blood gushed out upon them. And it came to pass when midday was past, and they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, that there was no <laughs> there was neither voice, nor any to answer, nor any that regarded. You want to know why? They were crying out to a dead God. It was just that, a little G God. He was dead. There was no God. It was a God made up in the minds of man, but it wasn't, it wasn't a living God. He couldn't answer them. But then we, we, he, we hear from Elijah who cries out to the living God. And in 1 Kings 18, 37, Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell. And consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. We serve a living God. He's alive today. It would be 800 years later after that event 
that God himself would come to earth. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, the Bible says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. See, Jesus was prophesied. We read back in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and we usually do during Christmas, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. That is a prophecy pointing to Jesus Christ who would come, and he came a little over 800 years after Elijah proved that he served a living God. And so now Jesus Christ is on this earth. He now arrives on this celestial ball. And we know that he lives a perfect, sinless life. And we know according to the word of God that he is indeed the anointed one. He's the Messiah. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And that's why he could and did live that sinless, perfect life. And there, not only was he prophesied, he was crucified. In Matthew 7, 27, 35, and they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots. They crucified him. And in 1 John 3, 16, if you've ever questioned or doubted whether or not Jesus is God, I want you to turn there and I want you to see something. Look at what it says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. Interestingly enough, we have John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Notice what 1 John 3.16 says. Powerful passage here. Well, you know, I just don't know if Jesus is really God. This is interesting. Watch what he says here. John is writing in 1 John 3.16, and he's writing uh, under inspiration of the Holy Ghost, of course. This isn't just his own opinion or what he thinks. Hereby, 1 John 3.16, hereby perceive we the love of God. Oh, we know the love of God according to John chapter 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Oh, this is kind of confusing then. If God is God and Jesus isn't, I mean, if he's actually the child, if he's actually God's son, then how is he God? Oh, you know what? I don't have all the answers, but let's see what 1 John tells us because this is rather interesting. Notice, hereby perceive we the love of God. Because he laid down his life for us. Who? God did. Emmanuel. God with us did. See, if you've seen the Father, you've seen me, he says. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. It doesn't matter. The fact is, as he says, hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. And that love of God... He laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. If you've ever had any doubt, I'm telling you, Jesus Christ is God. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He did lay down his life by dying on the cross, but the grave could not hold him. In Matthew 28, 5, he says, And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He's not here. Well, where is he? Oh, he's risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goes before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him. Lo, I have told you. Oh, they just stole his body. Oh, I know. That's, oh, that's right. They stole his body. Uh, oh, you mean those soldiers that were placed there at the tomb? Uh, they overwhelmed them. They took over. They actually uh, just 
beat them all up or something, and then they stole the body. Yeah, that's how it works. That is not what happened. Matter of fact, we know that those soldiers went back and said, man, well, listen, we don't know what happened, but he's gone. And they said, you just tell them that they stole the body. I mean, it's kind of funny that the disciples don't even know that Jesus is risen. I mean, when Mary and them come back and finally say, hey, guess what? Jesus isn't there. He's risen. They're like, oh, no, they moved his body. Oh. They thought Jesus was gone. They thought it was over with. They thought there was no hope now. And now, you know, he shows up. Hey, fellas. And they're like, he's alive. Don't you remember I told you this was going to happen? First Corinthians 15, 20 says, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. Hey, listen, he's a living God. He's a living God. But not only that, but the passage that we read in 1 Thessalonians points out that he's the true God. In 1 Thessalonians 1, 9, it said, Turning to God from idols to serve the living and true God. You know, Jeremiah shares that sentiment. If we read Jeremiah in Jeremiah 10, 10, he says, But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and an everlasting king. He says he's the true God, though, and he's the living God. You know what, John, John also goes on, and he agrees wholeheartedly. He says in John 17, 3, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. The true God. He goes on to reinforce that in 1 John, as we said, 5.20 already, and we know that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. The true God. I mean, true opposed to what? False. There are all kinds of false gods in the world, Right? Tons of false gods. People that want to be recognized as God. People want to be elevated as God, even in our own minds. We know that even Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, when they thought that they had an opportunity to become like gods, they said, oh, let's do it. But there's only one true God. And we have the privilege of serving him. So like the saints of Thessalonians, Thessalonica, we have the privilege of knowing and serving the living and true God. So maybe you haven't placed your faith as I close. Maybe you haven't placed your faith and trust in the living and true God today. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe you haven't. We know that he died for us because we're sinners. We know that the Bible teaches for all sin and come short of the glory of God. We understand that Christ himself didn't deserve to die because he hadn't sinned. I mean, the wages of sin is death, but he did not commit sin. He should not have had to have died. But you and I as sinners, should we deserve to die. But Jesus instead took our place. He died in our place by going to Calvary. He shed his perfect, precious blood, and he literally took our place. And today, we have the opportunity and the wonderful, wonderful privilege of calling upon Jesus Christ, who stands with his arms open and says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come unto me. And as we come to him humbly, recognizing ourselves as the sinners we are, and him as the holy, righteous God that he is, and that he died in our place and he paid for our sin, when we accept his payment for our sin as payment, 
When we finally say, I can't do this, but you did it for me. Oh, forgive me, save me. Come into my life. I can't do this without you. I can never earn your favor. You're so high. You're so holy. And I'm so low. But oh, I thank you for dying in my stead and paying for my sin. And I ask you to forgive me, save me. Boy, he will. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. See, you may know about Jesus Christ. To this point in your life, you haven't done anything with him. Let me encourage you to consider Christ in your life. It was about three or four o'clock this morning. I woke up. I don't know why I just did. I don't know what woke me, but nonetheless, I heard the furnace kick on and kick off. It went through a series of on and offs and on and off and on and off and on and off. And finally, it shut down altogether. I thought, great, no heat. And I thought, well, I'm feeling pretty warm right now. I'll just lay down until morning. So I pulled the covers back up and went to sleep. So about 5.30, I got up and I went downstairs. And I noted that the flame sensor was really corroded. Flame sensor is this really like skinny piece of steel that sticks down in. And so when the fire lights, you got a little igniter there and it lights the fire and then the fire goes across that sensor, that little, that little piece of metal. Well, that sensor was so corroded, and I thought, let's hope that's all it is. I look in there, and I realize there's only one screw I need to get off. One screw. And I can get that sensor out. I'll clean it up, sand it down real good. I went into my garage, and I started looking for my screwdrivers, and I had all kinds of screwdrivers. See, the problem was is that the, there's this thing that spins inside there too and it kind of comes around this way and that, 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 that sensor was right underneath it and the screwdrivers I kept grabbing were too tall. Couldn't get in there. I just couldn't find the right screwdriver. I had a little screwdriver. I remember. I can still see it in my mind. But I couldn't find it. A half hour later, I'm still looking for something to unscrew one screw in hopes that that sensor's all that's wrong. So I took a bit, and I used my fingers, and I just hoped and prayed that I didn't tighten it down too tight, or nobody tightened it too tight. And I got in there, and I was like... (laughs) And finally I felt it. And I started unscrewing it, and I got in there, got it out, pulled it out. I sanded that thing down. I stuck it back in there. I got the screw, and I went, "Mm, just enough to get it tight. Turned on the furnace, and warmth and comfort. Woo! (sighs) Woo! It was nice! Now, don't call me to fix your furnace. I have no clue. I just knew that that thing looked bad, so I pulled out one screw. You can do it. But you know, I got thinking about that this morning, and I thought, how many people, we want the warmth, we want the comfort that Christ can give us. But you know, sometimes it's kind of frustrating, like it was for me. Sometimes it's a little bit overwhelming to think about what it's going to cost us, how much time or how much effort, or, you know, the devil will say things like, ah, oh, it's not worth it. Just go back to bed. Don't worry about it. Hey, you know, just, just 
it's going to be a lot of work. You're going to have to try to find the right tool. You're going to try to get this done, get that done. And then you think, man, I might lose some friends. I might have to change some of my behavior. I might have to live a different kind of way because I know God's not pleased with some of the things I'm doing. It might be just too much trouble. Let me tell you something. It was a pain for 30 or more minutes trying to find the right tool just to get that out. And I was kind of getting frustrated. But I'll tell you what, it was worth it in the end. And I'm going to tell you today, you may not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you might be thinking, ah, it's, it's probably, I don't know, I don't want to have to think about, would I have to give up a friend? Would I have to give up this? Would I have to do that? God's going to expect me to live holy now, and he's going to expect me to go to church, and he might even expect me to give, and he's going to expect me to do all this stuff. I just don't know if it's worth it. Let me tell you something. That warmth, that comfort, that peace, that only he can give you is worth it. I want to encourage you to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior today if you haven't. He's worthy. I mean, the Thessalonians had it figured out. They understood it. They got it right. He is the living and true God. I want to encourage you. Stop looking to your own works and efforts. Don't try to please God in yourself. Turn to the cross and turn to Christ and realize that he alone can wash your sin away and only he can save your soul today. You'll be glad you did. Father, we come to you. We thank you, Father, for just the sacrifice you paid. We think about our veterans, and Lord, many of them probably put their lives at risk. We're in the midst of the fray, and others of us Maybe never were in actual battle, but we were, we were there in the need of it. We knew that was a possibility. Either way, our sacrifice costs something. And Lord, I pray that, Father, you'd be with every believer, and may they, Father, be willing to pay the price to, to serve you. But there might be those that have yet to receive and accept you as Savior. And Lord, the devil's telling them, you just stay in your seat. You don't want the hassle. It's not worth it. Oh, Lord, that warmth, that comfort, that peace is so worth it to know that Jesus is our Savior. And, Lord, he's not just our creator, but now we become his children in Christ. Oh, Father, I pray that, Father, your Holy Spirit would bring conviction to the heart of those that are in need of Jesus. May they see themselves as the sinner they are and in need of a Savior, Jesus Christ. We'll thank you. We'll praise you for what you will do in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand, every head bowed, every eye closed today.